0: Welcome back to the Saturday edition of Locked Women's Basketball, the internet's only women's basketball draft-focused podcast. Today, we're providing you with an inside look at our scouting and evaluation process as amateur scouts. How do we watch film? What do we look for in prospects? What skills and skill sets do we generally value more than others? We'll dive into these questions and more. Locked Women's Basketball starts now. Welcome to Wallet for
1: the win! You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball.
0: Welcome, you're at Women's Basketball. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever every podcast and on YouTube. My name is Under Cruz. I'm your Saturday host covering the WBA draft and prospect scouting. I'm joined by my co-host, M. and Lincoln Schaefer. M. covers the WBA with a focus on player development in the game within the game. Lincoln is our biomechanics guru and contributes to our WBA draft coverage at the next. This episode is brought to you by Price Picks, the easiest and the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepickscom slash locked on and use code low, all lowercase locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. All right, so... To get into this episode, we're going to open up by talking about our film watching process. So for you, Em, what is the first thing you look for whenever you're watching film? And how do you go about watching film on on draft prospects?
1: So the most important thing, I think, is to see if she got that dog in her. And then after that, you want to see uh, just how much she got that dog in her. You know, it's not about the size of the dog in the fight. It's about the size of the fight in the dog. And that means athleticism. That means just how they can take over the game. I think it sort of varies. You know, I have answered sort of this question before and I don't always have a great answer for it because it is just so subjective. It's Mm -hmm. really trying to get a feel for the different kind of X factors that come along with a player. This is, I think, actually one of the valuable things that we talked about a couple of weeks ago when it came to the um, AI discussion is that, you know, those are the sort of things that you're trying to get a, ha- uh, a handle on either directly or indirectly. And I think those are the things that I think you you don't look for, you don't start off looking for a game saying, I want to see how many players are good at this or that. It's more of just being able to feel what those things look like or feel what those things feel like. And from there, be able to recognize that as it pop, pops up in different games. Because, you know, to be good at this, you just want, you just, you you got to be, interested in watching ball anyway and the more you watch the more you see
2: yeah the number one thing is to watch for me was at least to um watch frankly a fiscally irresponsible amount of basketball um uh, (laughs) is a a whole lot of my time dedicated to sitting in front of a computer screen or a tv screen you know sometimes you can get the the the, uh four games at once on espn or big 10 plus you know you can. You can watch so much basketball that's available to you. Uh, Shout out to the YouTube channels that post full games clips on their YouTube channels. Uh, I appreciate them. Women's Basketball Alliance is one of the reasons that I got into this. They uh, post so much basketball, and you can watch so much basketball for free. And when you watch a ton of basketball, you start to notice things. Uh, The more you watch, the more you can pick up on. Another thing that was big for me is just like listening to other people who are very smart and know basketball, talk about the game. That helps you uh, grow a deeper understanding, whether that's people involved in the leagues or um, some of my personal favorites are Nakias and Steve at the Dunker spot. They do great work. They, They talk about women's basketball all the time and they know the game very, very well. And listening to people and talking to people who, like basketball who watch basketball who understand the game is always going to help you grow your own understanding
1: of the game yeah i don't think there's anything that has helped me more in terms of scouting at least at least once i was already sort of into this way of watching games i don't think there is anything that has helped me more personally than branching out from this being a one-person operation to this being the three of us think one big thing- jump
2: for me the other big jump for me was um mm-hmm. I started taking notes and Mm -hmm. um, writing things down, taking clips, um, whether that's a screen recording or an external app where you can plug videos in and get clips out. If you take notes and you add clips and um, screenshots and as much um, video, picture, film evidence that you can, you have ways to back up your arguments that's going to help you understand your own
0: viewing of the game better. And one thing you said there was about getting clips and getting data points. And I think that's something that's big for me is like with film watching, you can't really focus on just a senior year sample. I think that's something a lot of people get caught up in is where they focus on just the draft year, where it's really important to look at the freshman, the sophomore, the senior, junior and senior year sample. Like with the WNBA side, it's so much different than scouting for the NBA because um, it was something we're looking at with Denia Barker, where... Whenever you're a WNBA prospect, you don't really need to look back at high school samples. But on the men's side, you really have to rely a lot on junior, uh, senior year, AAU, tape because the players are in college for one year. But on the WNBA side, there's just so much more data samples. There's so much more information. There's just a a larger sample size in general for you to just feel stronger about your evaluation.
1: A notable example of that is uh, we... As we branch out into, you know, trying to evaluate more players at different ages, at different years, um, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you realize that someone who shot 40 percent from three over a fairly extended stretch to start their career actually has only once hit 70 percent from the line since she uh, graduated middle school. That's not good. That's uh, not good in terms of projection. We're, I, yeah. I'm talking about Janaya Barker to be specific. We recently found out that she actually can't hit free throws, and that's probably not good for what we think our shooting will be.
0: And I think another thing that's also really important for me is to always know that you're, you're never going in blind on a prospect. Like you're never going in with no thought at all about a player. You've either seen a highlight or you've seen the stats. You always know something. And I think it's important with that to try to keep as open as mind as possible, because something I've gotten myself caught into is writing a prospect off too quick or jumping to a conclusion on a prospect. Something they do well whenever Someone could start shooting from three well for 10 games. Then the next 10 games, they're not shooting well. And then they never get back to where they were at before. Like, there's just, there's such, like, um, a wave in how players play that you really can't just come to a conclusion immediately on players as well.
1: The funny thing about mentioning, you know, not seeing anyone without knowing anything uh, going in, you always know something, is uh, that that does happen to me, I can confirm. Um, Sometimes... For example, last year, I watched in the women's college basketball season, I watched, um, very to varying degrees, 118 different teams at one point or another. And I got to tell you, at different points, random players pop up. Is Essentially, what I've described before as, you know, Hunter finding internet random international prospects for us mm-hmm. is sort of how I find random college players who are like, huh, this player on Oklahoma State is doing really well from three and is like kind of holding up as a passer. Uh, in surprising ways, just because I was interested in why this random mm-hmm. big 12 team that that should have been like in the bottom third of the league is actually beating good teams. This is actually exactly how I started watching a little more of Granasi, the uh, international transfer from Arizona to Oklahoma State before the prior season. And, you know, I'm not saying she's a prospect at this point, but, you know, in like a 30 team league she'd be a very interesting, like late first rounder. Um, and then this is just sort of, you know, you go in just wanting to watch some hoop and be interested in the games themselves. And, you know, sometimes players pop up and you go, ooh, that's fun. And when it happens a bunch, you go, ooh, this player is fun. You go from there.
2: Yeah, going back to Hunter's earlier point about how we have so much more sample on, in the the women's game than the men's game, your average NBA draft pick who's going to go in the top five, like Paolo Bancaro, who was the number one pick in 2022, played 1,200 and 80 college minutes uh, assuming that Caitlin Clark does number one this year which I think we all uh, assume is very likely that will make three straight uh, number one overall picks out of college in women's basketball that have played over 3,700 <laughs> So we have three, three times sometimes even four times the minute sample as as uh, you do for a, a one and done player on the men's side. So there's there's so much more basketball that you get to watch.
0: Right. So after the break, we'll get into our scouting philosophy, what do we look for in players, what are some skill sets that we value more than others, and more. Our, our partners at eBay Motors have teamed up with Locked On Fantasy Basketball host Josh Lloyd to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each week all season long. Whether you're prepping for a daily draft or scouting the waiver wire, Every week, you're, we're going to provide you with players that are guaranteed to fit your roster. So let's see who Josh has picked for us on this week's eBay, eBay's guaranteed fit fantasy picks of the week. Our player Josh is looking for is Marvin Bagley III at, at, at with the Washington Wizards. With Daniel Gafford in concussion protocol, Bagley has a nice shot of getting minutes on his new team for the short term. I know M probably agrees. Marvin, let's Bagley, go Duke. Legend. Josh Lloyd from Locked in Women's Basketball is going to help you win your fantasy championship and eBay Motors knows a championship team is about each player being a perfect fit. Same with vehicle. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof rack, bumpers, whatever your baby needs. eBay Motors has it and with eBay guaranteed fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. eBay Motors, guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, I'm your host, Cruz. And before we get back into our conversation on our scouting philosophy as it pertains to the 2024 WBA draft and beyond, I want to inform you that Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24 seven streaming channel on YouTube. Locked on sports today is here for you 24 seven covering the top sports stories of the day with local experts of locked on plus our national sports shows covering every league. Go to locked on sports today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24 seven streaming channel. So I want to pose this question by saying, what is your scouting philosophy? Um, I know with scouting philosophies in general, um, there's many ways you can go. I think every every scout values different things. Every team has different things they look for in players. What about you, Am? Uh, to start off?
1: I think this pertains to what I was saying before in terms of
0: mm-hmm.
1: the AI thing, in terms of looking for X factors. The most important thing is not leaving scouting in a volume or not, sorry, volume, not leaving scouting in a vacuum. And this is whether you're looking at amateur scouting or whether you're looking at um, pro scouting, you know, self-scouting your own team, scouting other play, other teams to see, you know, for player acquisitions and whatnot. It really, it is really important to have a synergy and to not silo off your player development and your scouting. You know, if you can turn them into the, if, if you can really do well in integrating them like some of the best teams in baseball do, then, you know, you have a robust system and that you're really making as efficient and as effective as possible to what is, I think, sort of self-evidently the most important aspect of any team in any franchise. So I think coming into starting with that, it's having a good handle on what I know I can teach, what I know I can help find people who can teach and going from there. You know, like there are different aspects of footwork that are... That are more teachable than others. There are aspects of a shot that can easily be cleaned up. And there are other aspects that, you know, I don't know if I can clean it up, but I know someone who might be able to. And being able to bridge the gap from there and being able to say, okay, we can handle this flaw in a player, we can handle that flaw in a player. And from there being able to hone in on the skills that, you know, then become even more important. Um, you know, for me I come from a spot I come from the sort of attitude where almost any I shouldn't say almost anything, but a lot, a lot of things are teachable, at least in the right context. And you know, that means when you're looking for things, you're looking for those skills that you know I talked about a couple of weeks ago that really can't be taught the same way.
0: And what and how you say that a lot can be teachable. That's how, why that's why it's so important to value positional size athleticism tools because you can't teach size. You can't teach wingspan. So with a lot of prospects, like, for example, Angel Reese is it's kind of like a great example with her, where, you really bet on the tools if you're really taking her at a high pick because you're betting on the tools, you're betting on your developmental infrastructure to really get out of her skills that she has. And that that's that's what's tough about um, scouting in the public spaces because you don't have a specific team, you don't have a specific need or or anything. You're really just scouting generally. What skills do you value? What skill sets do you value? And how does that project on a general scale if a player just gets picked by any team? Like there's some prospects where – if they get picked by X team, they have a better chance of succeeding than they get picked by Y team. But that's what it makes it difficult for us because you're ranking players without knowing that.
2: Yeah, team-specific contacts are always gonna be uh more important when you're doing like for working for a team is gonna be a, a different process than what we do. We're just watching basketball and kind of coming up with our own opinion. Something that I value is um like a skill set that doesn't quite match size or position, like is there a big who's an especially fluid passer who can make plays that are n- uncommon for their position? Is there a five six guard who's an extraordinary rim protector? Shout out to Sarah Andrews, who's maybe the best rim protector under five seven in college basketball right now. Uh, and you just I like players that do things that they're not supposed to but do them well. Um, Another thing for me is I'm looking at movement skills, fluidity, explosiveness. Um, Like if you watch Becky Hammond, she doesn't move like a typical mid-major point guard. She's uh, more athletic, more fluid, and she sees the floor incredibly well, which is very obvious from the first time watching her. And the same thing with uh, players like Tamika Catchings. They move and interact with the game around them in a way that is unique which is one of the advantages we have of scouting specific players i think that when you're watching a team and you have the ability to just watch one player you're able to get so much nuance out of that um game than you're not that you're not getting if you're just watching the ball the whole time
1: and that's why I think it's important in sort of a wider context to be able to watch a game, you know, both as a scout that is watching, you know, one play individually and how they interact with their environment and how they solve, and just how they solve problems relating to environmental stimuli, whether that be complex movement problems, whether that be um, um, dynamic, uh, dynamic problem-solving, uh, critical thinking skills, or. Or sorry, not or and also being able to do so in the way that, you know, a coach and an and a and a film scout analyst does, where, you know, you're able to sort of take in the whole movement of five players, if you're really great at this 10, usually not. Um, but at least, you know, the five players on one team at a time and how they interact with each other and how they build up those dynamics, you know, it's hard in this kind of sport to scout players individually and while leafing out their team contexts, you know, we are talking about. Sort of on the Janaya Barker example from before, you know, there are ways in which her game has been very underwhelming this year outside of the shooting, but there's also ways in which the team dynamic has changed significantly and it runs things through her differently and has different usage of her. And, you know, whether that plays up to or plays out of her skill is really important for trying to figure out, you know, what are the trends we're looking at here. And I think that's uh just building off that last word, I think it's one of the important things in the wider context of doing this sort of thing is a big part of your evaluation is what is the wider trend of development here? What is the wider um, sort of arc of this player's career looking like? Charisma Osborne, for example, has basically been the same player every year. And that's a really good player. But that almost certainly means unless you are really confident in the ability of your coaching of your program to be able to sort of teach skills in a different way and to unlock things that others don't, you're probably getting again the same player in in you know other contexts you know you look at someone like Paige Beckers whose defense has improved massively every year. You know, I think the probably the easiest example and I'm sure you guys would probably agree. Nafisa Collier came into college, she had played for team USA. She didn't play much for good reason. She was probably one of the rawest highly regarded players I think we've ever seen on a college court and you know clearly displayed good skills for the size good instincts and you can see drastic improvement year to year while at UConn and that continued through her senior year and you can say and I think it's fair to say going off that there's probably more here that we can work off of and what do you know there still is.
0: And I think with prospects like you said it's so much on the context what their situation is what their role is there's some players where they're playing out of their role. Like you're you're projecting them to be a role player and they are handling the number one usage on a, on a team like that's something we talk about with someone like maddie sheer at kentucky where role is important system is important surrounding talents also important the coaching what kind of system are they running they're running what kind of defense they're running some we talk about with some defenses that run zone like how do you how do you evaluate a player in a system that is not very common in the pros
1: I think one of the fun things with that specifically is when you have a player who, you know, you know the athleticism is going to hit, but the role is also probably going to be decreased um, in tr- just in terms of the usage and the, uh, the the primacy going to the next level. You know, when you have someone whose role is going to be decreased and their athleticism isn't necessarily stand out, then, you know, you have to navigate different things. And it's sort of interesting how you try to figure out, you know, what is going to have a bigger effect, the increase in in the athletic Baseline of where they're going, that competition, or the fact that they'll be in little easier spots. But it's really fun, I think, when you get it well both ways. For example, J.C. Sheldon, who is definitely not going to be a primary player at the next level, might even be the third best guard on the starting lineup, um, but clearly has the sort of maybe not the strength, but like the speed, the lateral quickness, the horizontal movement. To be a standout performer at the WNBA, so when you have someone whose athleticism is clearly going to hit, and they're going to be decreasing in role, you know you can sort of work your way around the increase in level of talent. And it becomes an interesting question of, you know, there's probably a a certain, not not a certain like big level of upside, but there is different ways that they can influence the game that we're not necessarily seeing right now, but that will have the opportunity to do so because of their athleticism.
0: Yeah, after the break, we'll wrap up today's episode by talking about how we balance analytics versus our eye test and just the overall vibes of a player and more. With the basketball season in full swing, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league that is specifically made for combo projections that include two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at 10.5 combos of three pointers made plus receptions. Pricepix even offers a reboot policy so that if your entry stays in, if your entry stays your your entry stays in even if a player gets injured. For football and basketball games, a player who exits before in the b- exits before the second half, um that player is rebooted. Pricepix is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. Go to PricePix.com. And use code locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. That's code locked, that's code pricefix.com slash locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. Price the daily fantasy sports app made easy. All right. So I want to open this, this last section by talking about how we balance the analytics versus the eye test versus our initial expectations and our initial like feelings on a player. So for you, Em, when you watch a player, how how much is it important to look at the stats while you're watching a player? Or do you try to watch a player and focus on the film before you consider what the stats look like, if that makes
1: sense? The first thing I do before I open my tape every morning is I go and I look at everyone's RPM stats and I memorize how much they've changed from day to day. <laughs> and that's how I read every player in college basketball. (laughs) The second thing I do is, (laughs) the second thing I do is I then look at their on-off net rate. No, I'm kidding. All of that stuff (laughs) is basically basically irrelevant. Um, The stats, I think it's different when it comes to scouting for basketball, scouting for other sports, you know, football and soccer obviously are what they are. And those are, you know, sports where it is so difficult to to separate the intrinsically linked and interdependent nature of players and their schemes and who's next to them and the various different positions and roles they're asked to fulfill. In basketball, you know, it's not baseball where we can actually look at some stats and tell most of the story of what a player is, you know. We're talking about like sort of z contact chase rate all these sorts of things. In basketball there are things that you really can't ignore when it comes to this the statistical profile. Like I said, when it comes to the, the wider arc, for example, Janayan Barker, when it comes to the wider arc of free throw shooting, three-point shooting, we can't just project they this is a good looking shot. Uh if the I mean if the free throws aren't hitting and the free throw form looks very good, then what are you gonna do with that player to try to actually make them into a good shooter when you're going from there? These are the sort of questions you have to answer, and these are the sort of things you you want to have a statistical signal to back up your observations if they are verifiable, if they are falsifiable, but you know, it's not the end all be all. The first thing and last thing really should be what you're seeing on tape because there's really no other way to understand in basketball or really in any sport though. The question isn't just what is happening, but for scouting, because so much of it is projection, it's not just how, or it's not just what, but it's how and why.
2: Yeah. and So much of what we do is context dependent that I think it's impossible to get a full overview without film or without analytics, I think it's important for a scout to be somewhat statistically literate. Even if the analytics are not really analytics, just but just base stats, I'm not a huge fan of all-in-one number metrics. I think they're reductive and they miss that people are asked to do different things, but sometimes they can be useful in estimating value. But it's it's important to understand what these stats are trying to measure and not just taking them blindly and running with that um but to me it's it's a a process of watching film first and when something pops out to me i i kind of approach it like the scientific method i have a hypothesis from my film watching and the notes that i've taken and my priors on the player and i see if that continues and i uh check it with stats um Shout out to Her Hoop Stats, who does awesome work and has all kinds of things that you could ever want. Uh, their search function function is really fun to find uh, interesting quirks about players or things like that. But Her Hoop Stats is I think the most visited website on my browser. And I I like to double check what my eyes are seeing with um, I, I like to look at game logs more than like season long stats so I can see what they're do what a player is doing in each game rather than uh, a 30 game sample I like to look one game at a time to see how consistent things are and what changes from game to game and in specific contexts. but all of this has to be backed up by also watching the tape
0: yeah I think one thing that I look at as far as analytics is, how a player finishes at the rim in the half court versus transition. This is something that we talk hmm. about. I've talked about a lot with someone like Celeste Taylor, where she gets so much of her finishes in transition because of a Ohio, Ohio state scheme, how they press, how they get easy finishes and transition off the press. So in the half court, how does she, how does she finish? And if you look at how her finishing stats in half court versus transition there, it's like a 30% gap. And that's also similar to how I look at what's what some players contested versus uncontested shooting because a contested shooter if they're making contested threes at a high rate that's probably going to translate just generally going to translate better because they're drawing closeouts they're able to make more make more shots they're able to draw the defense out and if they're not if they're just making a lot of their threes uncontested the def- it's kind of obvious that the defense is not respecting them and there's probably a reason for that so I think in general it's, it's it's important to look at kind of both the ends and sometimes you find a rare example where a player is better on, contested than uncontested so it's just it's just all data points
1: for me and there's an interesting marriage between having that data and you know seeing something enough in person to or not, not necessarily in person but in person or on film to get a feel for it independent of that so you know you watch Ohio State two three times and then you look at the stats and you see the difference between that half court and Transition finishing for Celeste Taylor. I, on the other hand, could have told you the same conclusion, but not because I ever looked at those stats, but because she played at Duke for two years, and I was covering the team as the primary beat writer on the team for two years, and I watched her enough to tell you, man, this is a really rough job watching her generate looks in the half court and not be able to finish them repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. And you know, again, these are the things that you want to be backing up between your scout and the tape if things. That are falsifiable, aren't falsified, or I guess unfalsified by the data, then you want to be able to maybe a reason why. You know, we don't we don't craft observations and we don't look at stats and craft a narrative around them just for the sake of crafting a narrative and having something and having a nice story to tell about the world. You know, the universe itself is. Inherently irrational, and things will not resolve themselves. People contain multitudes, and the and everyone has cognitive dissonance in so many of their deeply held beliefs that it's that trying to create you know very nice, neat, and fully accurate narratives about the world are always going. To, it's always going to be a futile effort. But when it comes, so when it comes to trying to do that with stats and with your observations and trying to mold it all into one, you know that is a very st- It's a very understandable instinct, but it's also not something that really serves any good purpose. But you at least want to be able to say why there is or is not an an agreement between your observations and stats, if that is a possibility. Because otherwise, you know, you're just sort of throwing stuff at the wall and you're not actually able to integrate all the knowledge that we have. And what we know is that it all matters.
0: Yeah, I think overall it's, it's about balancing the stats it's about balancing the film and it's also about balancing not really for us but for for evaluators and teams is how a player interacts with their teammates how they interact with their coaches how teachable are they how how coachable are they how how much do they really love the game all that stuff is important to developing or projecting development on players because if a player doesn't love the game and they're really relying on their tools that's stuff that teams are going to look at and that's how that stuff teams are going to value um, and how they select players how they how they rank players on their board. So I think mm-hmm. overall, it's a very fluid process with how you scout. There's really no one way. There's really no one, one perfect formula. Every team has their hits and misses, and that's the same thing for us. So thanks for being Locked Basketball, your first listen every day. Join Team of the Next back next week for continued coverage of women's college basketball and the draft. Make your second listen Locked On Sports today, the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Have a great rest of your weekend, everyone.